Mark 10, verse 45, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to talk to you about a ransom for many. Mark 10, verse 45. And we're going to read one verse. This is Jesus talking. And I want you to notice what he says. Very important. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And that's the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I came for one reason, to give my life a ransom for you. I am a ransom for you. And he was telling a crowd that, telling his disciples that. That was his message. I know why I came. I didn't come to have a family. I didn't come to have a career. I didn't come to have a nice house. I came to be a ransom for you. Now, that's a heavy thing to say. So we're going to talk about it. Lord, we thank you right now for the Word of God. And I pray that this Word, the reality of the cross, will come home to us today like it never has before. Lord, I pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit will open every eye and every ear to hear and see what Jesus is saying to the church today and to everyone who needs a Savior. And I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, speak to me, Lord, and change my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen, this is going to change your life. Amen. All righty. When we talk about the cross that Jesus died on, a lot of people ask you, you know, why did he, a, a young man asked me this at Starbucks where all good things happen, <laughs> Starbucks. And he asked me, he said, he said, why did he have to go through so much pain? Why was God's answer so painful? Why did it require so much suffering? Why so much? I don't understand why Jesus would have to suffer that way. And, of course, I gave him an answer, and I'm going to give you the same answer. But then there are others all over the place in our culture today who believe that the cross that Jesus died on is only a myth. It didn't really happen. It was just made up by religious zealots steeped in a bloody sacrificial system that really is, is nonsense. And there are many people who tell you that today. That's nonsense. And Paul anticipated that response to the cross when he said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The message of the cross is stupid. It's silly. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. So Paul said, yeah, I go all, I, everywhere I go, people say, well, that's foolish. That's silly. The cross, it doesn't make sense. So to explain why Jesus went to the cross. I'm going to pull one, one word out of the text that we read, just one key word, and that's the word ransom. Everybody say with me, ransom. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, what does that word mean? We've all heard about somebody being kidnapped and they're taken against their will and they're taken off somewhere and, and then the drama begins. The family, uh, the loved ones of the person who was kidnapped wait with bated breath for the kidnapper to finally contact them and say, here's how much it's going to cost you to get your loved one back. 
This will be the ransom. This is the price you're going to have to pay for us to set them free. We understand that. And the attitude of those who love the kidnapped person is always, hey, no price is too great. You give me the price and I will get it. I'll come up with it. Whatever it takes, I will get that money. I will pay the price to deliver them and get my loved one back. That's the word ransom in the New Testament. And and in the Greek language, it also means it's the word that would be used as what was necessary to free a slave. A ransom was used to free a slave. So the word ransom signifies three things. Pay attention to this. This is really important. He said, first, you've got to have a captive. If there's no captive, there's no ransom necessary. Ransom requires first a captive, a prisoner, or a slave. And then there's a ransom amount required to set them free. How much is it going to cost? That's part of the word ransom. But then it also requires a third party who will pay whatever it takes to get the loved one free. That's ransom. You got to have a third party or there's no deliverance, a third party willing to pay it or there's no freedom. Now here's Jesus telling us, I'm the ransom. I have come to give my life a ransom for all. So that when he said that, it required three things. That very statement necessitates three things. The world, number one, is made up of captive prisoners and slaves. If our world wasn't made up of captive prisoners and slaves, why would he say, I came to give my life a ransom for everyone? I came to give my life a ransom for the world. Well, if there's no prisoners or slaves, what's the ransom for? Two, their freedom would require a ransom to be sure that they really are set free and brought out of slavery. And then third, his statement requires there's a third party willing to pay that price. And guess what? He said, I'm the third party willing to pay the price to set people free from bondage and from slavery. Jesus is the third party. Now, I want to take each one of these points, and I want to share with you the way that God sees our world. Because, you know, I've learned a long time ago, the way God sees the world is the way I need to see it. The way God looks at people is the way I need to look at people. And so here's the way God sees the world. Jesus said it's going to take a ransom. So Jesus believed that the world is filled with prisoners and slaves. He clearly believed that. The world is filled with prisoners and slaves. But he's not talking about people incarcerated in cement and steel and stone. He's not talking about the normal kind of prison at all. And he wasn't talking about the percentage of people who even to this day are in forced servitude. They're in some kind of slavery somewhere in our world. That is not who he was talking about. Listen, he was talking about a prisoner of a different kind. Jesus taught that all of mankind is enslaved by sin. Did you know that? That's the way Jesus views the world. That's the way God views the world, that all the world is enslaved by sin. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Well, since anybody who commits sin is the slave of sin, that places the whole world in the slavery bracket because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
So Jesus saw the world as enslaved or imprisoned by sin. The whole world is enslaved to it. The whole world is imprisoned by it. And, you know, our culture today, our culture will look at you and say, hey, you know, we're basically good people, and, and, and really we're not hung up. Like the famous book said, I'm okay, you're okay. But really that book is wrong. You're not okay, according to the Bible. Listen to what the Bible says. The testimony that the Bible gives us about mankind is not flattering. It describes our slavery to sin. Listen to the way it describes us. It says, there is not one who understands. There is not one who tries to find God. Everyone has turned away from God. They have all done wrong. Not one of them does what is good. No, not even one. According to the Bible, you can search the world over and you will not find one person who lives the righteous life that God requires. There's not one, not even one. Listen to the further description. Their mouth is like an open grave. That's talking about all you and me. That's talking about humanity. Their mouth is like an open grave. They tell lies with their tongues. Whatever they say is like the poison of snakes. Their mouths speak bad things against God. They say bad things about other people. They are quick to hurt and kill people. Wherever they go, they destroy and make people suffer. They know nothing about peace. They do not honor God with love and fear. Well, Jeff, why don't you just build me up today? <laughs> Let me tell you now, that's the way the Bible and therefore God views humanity. You know, I was thinking this morning when I read this about the tongue. They all lie with their tongues. Whatever they say is like the poison of snakes. Their mouths speak bad things against God. They say bad things about other people. I could think back to high school and junior high and, and even elementary school, didn't we? We, rumored, we? we spread rumors about others. We gossiped. We slandered. We hurt people with our words. We were vicious, and nobody had to teach us how to do it. It came naturally. Because this is who we are by nature. We are born this way. So, so here's the testimony of the Bible. We human beings are not naturally good. Now, we do some good things, but at our core, we are skewed towards sin. That's the Bible's whole point. We're not godly. We are by nature ungodly. You don't have to teach a child to be bad. You have to teach a bad child to be good. Nobody comes along and teaches them how to lie, how to be selfish, how to grab that toy and say, mine. They're selfish by nature. They're fallen by nature. Now listen to what the Bible says. This is because we are all born with a sinful nature. See, the Bible says we all have a disease, and the disease is sin. We've all got it. We're all born with it. Paul says this. He says, this is what happened. Sin came into the world by one man, Adam. I'm going to look Adam up in heaven. And I'm going to have a talk with him. I want two or three minutes with him. That's all. Because listen, the Bible says it's his fault. Sin came into the world by one man, Adam. Sin brought death with it. Death spread to all men because all have sinned. So one man, Adam, brought sin into the world. Sin came into our world through Adam. When Adam fell, we all fell with him. That's the message of the Bible. When Adam fell, we all fell with him, and our very natures, our insides 
were changed. This is why Jesus said you must be born again. Because after Adam, it became totally natural for us to rebel against God, to curse Him, dishonor Him, resent Him, to run and hide from Him, to seek our lives, uh, to live our lives independently of Him. This is what we do by nature. When God came knocking on the door of your heart, I guarantee you for a while you ran. I did. I ran from God. I, I was afraid of God. I didn't want God to discover me and know what I had done because my nature had changed. Paul the Apostle said, we know that the law, and this perfectly describes our fallen inner nature. He said, we know that the law, which is God's standard for right living, is right and good. God's law, His his moral code is right and good. But I'm a person who does what is wrong and bad. I am not my own boss. Everybody say with me, I am not my own boss. People go around saying, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. No, you're not. You're not even your own boss. Sin is my boss. That's what Paul said. Sin is my boss. I do what sin tells me to do. I don't understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I do not do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. And that happened with many of you this week. You knew the right thing. You knew to do the right thing. You knew what the right thing was. And you said to yourself, don't do the wrong thing. And then you did the wrong thing. This is why Jesus said, you must. Everybody say must. You must. You must be born again. You must be born twice. Born once, you're a child of Adam. Born twice, you're a child of God. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you're blind. Born twice, you see. Born once, you're hell-bound. Born twice, you're heaven-bound. We must be born again. Because when you're born again, He gives you a brand new nature. If any man be in Christ, He is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and all has become new. Listen to what Peter says of the whole human race. They themselves are slaves. You hear that word? Slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. So like the prisoner or slave, every human being on earth, is a slave to sin, every human being. So we're in a problem. We're in a pickle. We've got an issue here. And that's why Jesus said a ransom is going to have to be paid to set us free. It's going to require a payment, a payment, a payment to get us out of bondage and out of slavery into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Now, first, got to ask this question. Here's a million-dollar question for you. Who was the ransom to be paid to? Jesus said, I, I'm the ransom. So who was the ransom to be paid to? And who required the ransom? Well, not the devil. Because how could a rebellious devil who played a major role in man's fall in the first place require a ransom? He's as guilty as Adam. He's as guilty as us. Nope. The ransom was required by God himself. God himself. For he was the one offended and estranged because of our sin. 
I like to watch real crime TV. I've told you that. I don't like Hollywood productions. I haven't been to a movie in years, and that's the truth. But I, but I like real crime productions like Forensic Files and Dateline ID. I record those things. Kathy said to me the other day, you got 12 hours here. And I said, that's not enough. <laughs> I love watching those things. I just do. Because they're real. They didn't, nobody wrote them. Nobody made them up. They're real. And, 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 of course, in these shows, somebody is always killed. And one thing I've noticed is in virtually every show, I mean every time, the surviving family of the victim demands justice. I want justice for my daughter, justice for my son, for my husband, for my wife, for my parents, for my loved one who was killed. I want justice on behalf of the person I love because the fact that their life was taken from them is not right. It was wrong, and, and therefore justice is required. You'll often see the police officers that are on the case in these shows. They become obsessed with it because they also want to see justice. I've watched shows where police officers lost sleep, lost their marriages, lost their peace until they could find the perpetrator because it required justice. There is something inside of all of us humans that comes straight from the God who created us that says, this crime must be answered, it must be solved, because there must be justice for the wronged person. Where did we get that? We got that from the God who made us in His image. This sense, man, there's got to be, there's got to be an answer. Somebody's got to pay for what has happened here. So when we sin, God is the number one wronged person. Because God is a holy God, He is utterly and completely revolted by sin. Are you aware of that? Sin is an act of major rebellion. It is in heaven's eyes a capital crime. It is an infamous felony that requires justice when sin happens in this world. And if we being sinners say, you know what, that person was really wrong or I was wrong, I want justice, so much more so the God who is perfect wants justice when law is broken in His universe. Let me give you the reality. Every single sin committed on this planet demands justice from God. I'm going to say that again. Every single sin committed in this universe requires and demands justice from God. He cannot allow one single sin to go by without justice being meted out for it because our God is a moral God. He gave us a moral code, the Ten Commandments, and because He's a moral God, He put in us that morality. That's why we feel the need for justice over someone wronged. Now that said, what ransom could possibly be paid at the judgment bar of God to deliver us out of slavery to sin and to satisfy God's need for justice? What, what ransom could be paid? I'm going to answer that, not silver, not gold, not the dollar, not a peso, not yen, not diamonds, rubies, or emeralds. None of those would do. You can't pay God. How in the world are you going to give that to God and it bring 
satisfaction to his need for justice. There was only one currency in the entire universe that could ransom us from slavery and condemnation and satisfy God's need for justice. And Peter gives us the answer what that currency was. Let me read it. God, he, says, he says, God paid a ransom to save you from the impossible road to heaven which your fathers tried to take. And listen to this. The ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, as you very well know, but he paid for you with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him for this purpose long before the world began. Not only recently was he brought into public view, in these last days, as a blessing, he has come now to you. Amen. Now, you say, but Jeff, that's not fair. And this, this young man said this to me at Starbucks. He said, that's not fair. Why would God require an innocent life for a guilty one? That's not fair. That's not right. Because Jesus was innocent. I'm glad you asked that question. Let me answer it. Peter gives us the answer in the same verse. He paid for you with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Listen, Jesus' blood was sinless and spotless because Jesus was sinless and spotless. I want you to imagine an individual who never once in his 33 years of life on this planet looked up and said, God, forgive me, I shouldn't have done that. Not one time. He never had to repent because he never sinned. The Bible says we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Only a sinless, spotless sacrifice would do, and there was only one sinless, spotless sacrifice available, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood. And that's how He came to be a ransom personally, His life a ransom for us. He never committed a sinful act. And listen, He did not inherit Adam's nature because his daddy was God. He was not connected to the sin line. He wasn't connected to Adam. It says the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary, and that holy thing conceived in her was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So he did not inherit Adam's fallen nature, and he never sinned in action. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He never sinned, and he never inherited a sin nature. He was our ransom. Now I want you to hold that thought just for a minute and think with me. Every sin ever committed is going to experience God ju God's justice in one of two ways. One of two ways, every sin. One the sinner will meet God on judgment day and receive punishment for their sins. Listen to the Bible. Jude writes that Jesus will return to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So there's the word. Jesus is coming to judge the world, and he's going to judge every ungodly thing. So 
That is when justice is going to be meted out. That's one way right there. The Bible says he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. You know, I was reading this today, and I, this second part of that verse, it says that he's going to come, and he's going he's to judge and convict every person for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know, we have now comedians and comedians, and, and part of their shtick, part of what they're doing now is standing up and saying horrible blasphemous things about Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I watched one of them by mistake. I was just kind of channel surfing. There they were. And I saw this, this female comedian say something terrible about Jesus. And I was surprised that lightning didn't go right through the ceiling and strike her. But then I thought, you know, the Bible says the day is coming when every insult you ever said about Jesus, everything you ever said about Christ, every mock, every mocking, every ridicule, every Every joke you told at his expense, Jesus is going to play a recorder of our words, and we're going to answer. Folks, there is a judgment day coming because sin must receive God's justice. But there's another way. There's another way. Sin receives God's justice, and it's on the cross of Christ. Now this message is about to get real positive. I'm going to give you some good news. You want some good news? Here's some good news. The second way sin receives God's justice is on the cross. Because on the cross, God's justice was satisfied by the death of Christ who died in my place. Here's the good news. On the day when Jesus died, the eternal courtroom of Almighty God was held in session. Imagine it with me. God sat as the judge of the entire human race. You and me, all of our descendants, and everyone future tense were gathered in front of God. Our sins were undeniable. Our case was desperate. The stakes could not have been higher. Forget life in prison. We're talking about eternity in the prison of hell, hung in the balance. As Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says the sky grew black as midnight at high noon. There was a great stillness on the crowd just before he breathed his last. A supernatural gloom hung over everything. What was happening at this dark hour? Here's what the Bible says. Jesus, as it were, walked into that heavenly courtroom, stood between the judge and the guilty human race, you, me, all of us, and said, I will serve their sentence. I will take the rap for them. And on the cross, he took the sins of the world, our sins, your sins, my sins, the world's sins, every curse word, every thought, every action, every attitude, every word that was ungodly, that proceeded out of our mouth, was laid on Jesus. Was he was blamed for it. He took the rap for it. God poured out His wrath upon Christ until that wrath was absorbed and exhausted, until every bit of justice was satisfied. Right there. Isaiah the prophet wrote, 
The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Hebrew reads, the Lord has caused to land on him the iniquity of us all. It landed on him on the cross. He took our sentence. The Bible says, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for every man. Jesus was the sacrifice ransom necessary to ransom our souls from slavery. His blood was the currency. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God through Christ. Here's the incredibly good news. This is so powerful. It says when Jesus was on the cross, it says God was in Christ. As he hung there, struggling to breathe, beaten beyond recognition, being mocked by the two thieves on either side of him, mocked by the crowd in front of him. The Bible says God was in Jesus doing what? Restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. Wow, powerful. I love dogs. You know that I do if you've been here very long at all. The Christmas of 2004, I said, you know, I'm going to do a Christmassy thing. I'm going to go rescue a dog. So I went down to the Fort Worth Pound. I knew that every dog in there was imprisoned. I walked in to their world. I could not get one out if I didn't walk in to their world. And I walked up and down where all those cages were. Dogs looking out at me. It was a heartbreaker. I couldn't do it today, but I did it then. And I'm walking up and down these cages, and I'm looking. They don't know who I am. They don't know what I'm thinking. But I saw one. And he was a little puppy, cuddled up into a corner, all curled up in a ball, and he was all by himself. And I focused on him. And I said to the girl, open that gate. I want to meet him. She reached in there and pulled this little puppy. Now, at first, he didn't want to come to me. He struggled. He pulled away because he didn't know what I was thinking. He thought I was going to hurt him. He didn't know what I was going to do. But when I held him, he knew that I was holding him in love. And... I held him, and he put his nose right here, and I was gone. <laughs> put his nose right here, and I was gone. But I chose him. He didn't know I had a dream for him. I had a vision for him. I had a picture of what his life was going to be if he stayed with me. Now watch this. So I said to the woman, I said, I want this one. She said, it's going to cost you. And I said, how much? She told me. She said, I've got to put him back in the cage until you pay. I said, that's okay because he's about to be redeemed. So I went to the counter. And I slapped down the currency necessary to get him out of prison. 
out of bondage. And when I paid it, I said, now go get me my dog. My dog. No longer your dog. My dog. I named him on the spot, Ollie. I don't know why Ollie. It just came to me, so Ollie it is. So I gave him a new name. She brought him to me. He had no idea that I had a picture or a vision of him playing with my children, running through the house, enjoying our huge backyard, living a life he could never have dreamed about, could not have known. All he knew was I was there and he was out of his jail. But then there was so much more. I put him in my car. I took him home. I put him in that great big backyard, and he was overwhelmed with all the freedom and all the liberty, so much he just stood there looking around. But eventually, he started running, wagging his tail, enjoying the breadth and width and height and depth of what I had delivered him for. Now, church, listen to me. This is what Jesus does. He stepped into our world. He saw you in your prison. He chose you. He slapped his blood down on the bar of God, the only currency that could set us free. And then he said, you come with me. Not only are you going to heaven one day, but I've got something for you in this life that is going to blow your mind. Come on, everybody. I'm telling you. There's so much more, so much more. And so what I'm telling you today is that he paid a ransom. He came into our world. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He took you out of the cage of sin. He took you to a new place, into liberty in Jesus. And eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men what God has prepared for those who love Him. Amen. So everybody say with me, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Can we stand up together today? Somebody just thought, how's Ollie today? Oh, he's happy. He lives the life of Riley. Oh, he got so blessed when he let me save him. But I feel so much more blessed that Jesus saved me. Oh, what a cage I was in. What a dreadful cage. But he came into my world. What about you? He took me out of my cage. What about you? With your heads bowed, I want to ask a question. If you can say, Jeff, I'm not sure if Jesus has ever come into my heart. But I want to know for sure. If there's a question mark in your mind, you need to answer that question. You need to answer that question. You don't want to live another day without answering that question. And we can do it today. And if you've drifted from the Lord, what a time to come home. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to pray it with me if you need to. If you, if you want to settle that question, I want you to do it right now. You can do it right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and right where you stand, you can pray this prayer. So right now, let's do it. And say with me, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead 
so that I could be saved. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and remove me from this cage of sin. Take me, Lord, in your arms. I believe on you. In Jesus' name.